I love The Simpsons. It is the seminal comedy of my formative years. And if you're half as big a fan as I am, you know that food has always been a huge part of the show. I like pizza. I like bagels. I like hot dogs with mustard and beans. I get the picture. I'll eat eggplant. I could even eat a baby deer. Food on The Simpsons is also a big deal behind the scenes. You know, TV writers are notoriously food-obsessed people. And Simpsons writers are no exception. Everyone orders a salad in the morning, and then by the time lunch comes around, it's like, this is the last thing in the world I want to eat. What am I going to do? My whole day's screwed. Today on The Sporkful, I visit the Simpsons writer's room to talk about the role of food for the writers and the Simpsons themselves. This is sort of a dream come true. We're looking for a new food critic, someone who doesn't immediately poo-poo everything he eats. No, it usually takes a few hours. This is The Sporkful. It's not for foodies, it's for eaters. I'm Dan Pashman. Each week on our show, we obsess about food to learn more about people. The Simpsons is my number one show of all time. I remember in seventh or eighth grade, the Lions Club Carnival came to town, and the best prize you could win at the carnival was a Bart Simpson t-shirt that said, don't have a cow man. And I feel like as I matured, The Simpsons matured, too. When I got into college, I remember in Boston, there were repeats of The Simpsons on every weeknight on two different channels. So if you played your cards right, you could watch The Simpsons at 6, 6.30, and 7.30 every night. And then 7 o'clock was Jeopardy. So that two-hour block, for me and my roommate Jake, we planned our day around that two-hour block. And we actually even, I'm going to date myself, we had a VHS player, and we would buy blank VHS tapes and tape all these repeats of The Simpsons. We had like 15 or 20 VHS tapes worth of old Simpsons episodes. Did we ever watch them? No, because there were already three episodes on a night. I don't know what we thought we were going to do with them, but we were ready, okay? Ready for The Simpsons apocalypse, I guess. And it may not surprise you to learn that my all-time favorite Simpsons joke is food-related. It came in one of the early Halloween episodes. Those are always really twisted and weird. And in this one, Homer tries to fix a toaster, and he gets electrocuted and gets sent back in time to the age of the dinosaurs. Don't panic. Remember the advice your father gave you on your wedding day. If you ever travel back in time, don't step on anything, because even the tiniest change can alter the future in ways you can't imagine. Fine. As long as I stand perfectly still and don't touch anything, I won't destroy the future. Stupid bug! You go squish now! (gasps) But that was just one little insignificant mosquito! I can't change the future, right? Homer gets sent back to the present, which has been altered since he sipped on that bug. And now it's this 1984-type scenario where Ned Flanders is like Big Brother. So Homer goes back in time again to try to fix things, but he screws up something else. So when he comes back to the present now, all the people are giants. So he goes back to the past, messes up something different, comes back to the present, walks into his house, and... Hey! Good morning, Father dear. Hope you're well. Are we taking the new Lexus to Aunt Patty and Selma's funeral today? Hmm, fabulous house, well-behaved kids, sisters-in-law dead, luxury sedan. Woohoo! I hit the jackpot! Marge dear, would you kindly pass me a donut? Donut? What's a donut? <laughs> Homer runs screaming from the house to go back in time. Then Marge looks out the window. <gasps> it's raining again. 
and it's raining donuts. Genius. So, I think you get the point. I was extremely excited to get to hang out with The Simpsons writers. Food is such a big part of The Simpsons, partly because it's not just a show. The town of Springfield is a whole fictional world, complete with its own food brands, Duff Beer, Krusty O's Cereal, and Chef Lonely Heart's Soup for One. There's actually an Instagram feed called Springfield Cuisine, devoted entirely to foods from The Simpsons. Then, of course, there's Homer, the ultimate eater. Mmm, donuts. Who can forget Homer at the candy convention stealing the gummy Venus de Milo? Or the time Homer intentionally gained 61 pounds so he could go on disability and work from home? Classics. All this was on my mind when I met up with Rob Lezebnik, who had invited me there in the first place. He's been a writer and co-executive producer on The Simpsons for 14 seasons. But he was a fan way before that. 25, 27 years ago, there's an episode early on where Homer, you might remember, Homer gets a, um, a 10-foot sub from a picnic that Mr. Burns throws, and he brings it home, and he just <laughs> he's just relentlessly eating it and eating it and eating it. You've been eating that thing for a week. I think the mayonnaise is starting to turn. Two more feet, and I can fit it in the fridge. It just killed me. I just remember from that, from that long ago, just being killed. And at one point he says, he's in bed with Marge, and she's trying to convince him to, be, uh, to get rid of it because it's going to make him sick. I'd like to be alone with the sandwich for a moment. Are you going to eat it? Yes. So I think I wish I'd been there for that whole experience. I bet that they were dying when yeah. they wrote that because I was when I watched. You wrote the um, that scene with the uh, the, the mayonnaise dream. The, yes, the- I'd wanted to do a show about Spider Pig because we really hadn't featured him, and so we did this episode. I did this episode where Spider Pig gets hurt on Mr. Burns's property, and Mr. Burns uh, decides to take care of him so he won't be sued. And Burns or Smithers says, "If it doesn't work here, we'll take him to the Mayo Clinic." And Homer looks off and says, the Mayo Clinic, eh? And then it, he it goes into Homer's fantasy about what is a Mayo Clinic like? And all the doctors are, are, are jars of mayonnaise. And, and they are, um, they're resuscitating the pig with, uh, with the mayo. And uh, it's just this, like, avalanche of mayonnaise. Should we slice them diagonally or just cut off the crust? Who cares? It's hopeless. I was interested that you you had both Hellman's and Best Foods represented. <laughs> yes, in which fact, are, which are the same mayonnaise. They're two different labels, right? And in fact, isn't one's west of the Mississippi, one's east of the something Mississippi? something like that? Yeah, we even had that at one point. That was in the show, and that's why they, those, those labels were there because there were jokes about the fact of what do you know? You're Best Foods, you know. I'm I'm the real thing. I'm Hellman's, uh, but I think that got cut for time. So the vestige of it was for sharp-eyed viewers like you or the labels. But then Miracle Whip comes in. Yes, and Miracle Wick comes in at the very end. You fools. I'll save him like I've saved a million lunches. And Miracle Whip is actually the one who unscrews his lid and... And starts spooning... Miracle Whip onto the sandwich to save it. Exactly, in a slightly queasy-making scene. Ah, ah, ah. (laughs) And then collapses in the ground and says something like, um... It gets harder every time. That's right, exactly. Thank you for remembering. <laughs> yeah. There are too many shows. Yeah, I hear you. Are you a Miracle Whip fan, Rob? Would you, no. So, so, so why explain not. this plot twist to me where Miracle Whip saves the sandwich that Hellman's and Best Foods cannot save? Anything for a laugh. Yeah. <laughs> I do have experience with a lot of mayo experience because I grew up in the Midwest and my mother was, 
I think she would have said by her own admission, a terrible cook. And uh, in fact, the first time I took my wife home to meet my parents, my, my mom had made a special dessert for her, which was, I'm not kidding, jello with mayonnaise whipped into it. And my wife was like desperately looking at me like, what do I do? <laughs> how, do I, how do I avoid this? So yeah, the mayo stuff is, is deeply in my roots and I probably a lot of my body is mayo. Thanks, Charlene. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. By now, it was mid-morning. Pretty soon, it would be time for the table read when the actors sit together and perform an early draft yeah. of a script to see how it sounds. Before that, though, came something even more important, ordering lunch. For the writers, this is a focal point of the day, a ritual. They order in the morning, then eat together in the afternoon. Rob was joined by fellow writer Ryan Coe. There were two options that day, the studio commissary, which is like the cafeteria, and a local Mexican place. Right? This is Juliet. Did you meet Dan Cashman? Sorry. Nice to meet you. There you go. <laughs> so, Juliet, how annoying is it to have to take the writer's food orders every day? Oh, it's the worst. No. It's, it's totally cool. You get to use a cool clipboard. It's very exciting. Some people take way too long to decide. Absolutely. That's that, that is that is probably the biggest issue we have. Yeah, we should have a timer or something. What about Rob and Ryan? Where do they rank in the annoying scale? Oh, they're 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 not too annoying. But so I, I, I often get buyer's remorse. Like after you after you call at lunch, I'm like, no, no, call them and change it. I I don't want chicken. Why did they order chicken? <laughs> Why do you think you, that happens to you, Ryan? Because lunch is very important to me, and so I don't want it to like ruin my whole day if I you know order I, you know salad is everyone orders salad in the morning and then by the time lunch comes around it's like this is the last thing in the world I want to eat. What am I going to do? My whole day screwed. So. Isn't that, that's kind of a, a, a parable for life, though. Like, you start off with all these good intentions, right? right? Like, I'm going to be, I'm going to clean up my act today. It's a new day. Yes. And by lunchtime, you're like, <laughs> melt some cheese on something right Yes, now. yes. <laughs> but then it works out great, because then I sort of just eat half of the healthy lunch and maybe like two or three Klondike bars, but... <laughs> So you managed to get the non-healthy stuff. Yeah, yeah, I get my calories. Okay. Yeah. So let's play some orders. Okay, let's do Rob, it. Rob, what are you going to order? Okay, from commissary, please. This yes. white bean and chicken sausage soup. Perfect. Sounds great. And nothing pairs better with that than tacos. Oh, perfect. I think. Well, so you're I'm, getting tacos on, on top so of So you're that. doing soup from the commissary plus and tacos. Yeah, exactly, so this right. is very, very common. Really? Also, commissary can do fruit plates and veggie plates. So people, even if they're ordering from the restaurant, will throw in... I'm going to get some watermelon and grapes. I'm going to get whatever fruits or vegetables they want on the side. Because really? it sounds yeah. to me for me like Rob was being kind of difficult there. But no. you're telling me that wasn't difficult. <laughs> this is, yeah, he's, he's a simple guy. It's, it's easy to work with Rob. For All sure. right. Uh, thank you. Oh. Ryan, what are you going to have? This menu is a little tough, but uh, I, I'll get the chicken enchiladas. And then what's good with that is a rainbow roll sushi. So, <laughs> yeah, Those are true. classic, Wait, classic combinations. Is that really your order? Yes. <laughs> The lunch order yeah. was in. Rob took me to meet another writer, and just walking around the place was amazing. This is the Fox lot in L.A. It's like its own city. There are rows and rows of basically airplane hangars with movie and TV sets inside. We're talking 20th century Fox, you know. Okay, you get the idea. This is where they filmed The Three Musketeers in 1939 and where they do American Horror Story today. Miracle on 34th Street, Young Frankenstein, Moonlighting, The X-Files, Arrested Development, and Dr. Doolittle 2. Hey, they can't all be hits. 
Then there's another area where it's all bungalows and low-slung buildings that almost look like motels. And those are the offices and writers' rooms. Rob had told me that if there was one person on the Simpsons staff I had to talk with while I was there, it was Matt Selman. In a writer's room full of food-obsessed people, Matt reigns supreme. He's an executive producer, and the episodes he oversees almost always have food jokes. It's always fun for me, and I believe most of us, to come up with gross, fake foods. We have two wing chains. These are not famous things beloved by Simpsons fans, but guess what? I like them. And like one is called Garbage Wings, where the theme of it, the wings come in dumpsters and the dipping sauces are in little garbage cans. And I just think that's cute and funny. And then we have also one called Utica Wild Thighs, which is a competitor of Buffalo Wild Wings from nearby Utica, where they take all the disposed of thighs not used by the wing restaurants and deep fry those. (laughs) (laughs) That's actually probably better. I feel like thighs are better than wings. Thighs have weird fat pockets that when deep fried do not always melt into the chicken. And so you're eating it and the skin will peel off and there's kind of wet chicken meat underneath with lots of gross gloppy thighs, thigh fat in the chicken. I guess you and I I just have different opinions about thigh fat, Matt. The fried chicken thigh is a challenging piece of meat. I'll just say that. One reason I was excited to talk with Matt Selman is that he wrote one of my favorite Simpsons episodes of recent years called The Food Wife. In it, Bart, Lisa, and Marge become food bloggers. But Homer isn't interested. Oh, and here's my favorite restaurant, La Fridge. It's open 24 hours a day and there's no dress code. What kind of American man doesn't want to explore global food culture? And then brag about it on the internet. We should start our own food blog. <gasps> the Three Mouseketeers. What inspired that episode? Well, certainly I was like in a more foodie phase of my life then. And food blogs and were kind of a big deal. And, you know, it was an exciting time to be in L.A. and like drive around and eat at this taco place or this Ethiopian restaurant or this... Korean bone neck stew place, you know, that was just so, so specific. It's like you could really have a, you know, real worldly experience. And, but, but, um, what I loved about the episode was the way that it skewered foodie culture. Right. And it sort of made fun of the idea was, okay, there was a certain amount of smugness and self-importance and bragging about that kind of foodie culture. But, you know, there is kind of, you know, we're the Simpsons. We like to make fun of things. So it's like, if there's a smugness or a self-importance or like a bragging element of it, let's make fun of that. And sh- and that's where there's that rap song in the middle. We're blogging a food blog. Martin Bart and Lisa is one now. A lot of rap and hip-hop is about bragging. And a lot of foodie stuff is about bragging. Like So to bring those together, it was a that, that it's not just random to do a hip-hop song about what you've eaten. It's actually, there's kind of a, a commonality there. And did you feel like, in a way, you were kind of making fun of yourself? Sure, of course. Self-loathing is a huge part of what we do. <laughs> but um, like a, a sort of a creative breakthrough we were thinking about the episode and how it would be like a really obvious way to go would be Homer the foodie because Homer likes food, right? But 
once we sort of said, wait a minute, he's like a blue collar guy. He really just likes pizza and cheeseburgers and more than anything. And he's highly suspect of pretentiousness and sophisticated things and foreign things and things that make him feel like he doesn't get it. So like to have him be like anti-foodie for much of the show and be able to voice that kind of regular guy opinion, you know, gave the episode really good conflict. And I, I, my favorite scene in that episode is, is the scene in the Ethiopian restaurant where Marge and the kids go in there. They're using pancakes as spoons. Ooh, let's see what else they do wrong. And Marge is so skeptical. They're selling CDs in the restaurant. Back to the car. What can I get you? Oh, I'll just have a side salad. We have no side salad. Back to the car. Relax, Mom. Be adventurous. Yeah, just have fun. It's certainly fun to make fun of people's fears, especially when we can portray them as being irrational, but yet relatable. Like, I just love that Marge was afraid of the fact they were selling CDs in the restaurant. It's just a funny observation. And that, that anyone would be scared of that is, is you know, is funny, is ridiculous. I mean, yes, there are some lines that, that sort of poke fun at Ethiopian food, but I feel like they more poke fun at the ignorance and suspicions of white people about Ethiopian food. Sure, 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 sure. And so in that scene in the Ethiopian restaurant, it is the white people who are the butt of the joke. Right. What's the craziest thing on the menu? <laughs> she means the most authentic. Well, that would be the Zinzel Minchetta Lecha Wat. Then I'll have that. <gasps> okay, Marge, you test drove a convertible once, you can do this. <clears throat> Holy casserole! That's good gloop. At this point, a bunch of white food bloggers come in the door of the restaurant. Wait, wait, wait. What is she eating? They've never served me that dish, and I wear indigenous beaded headgear. Oh, this? It's just a little Zelzel mentioned a la Chawat. It's all I ever eat here. <gasps> they have prepared her a dish from the non-translated page. <gasps> so grab a pancake and slurp some slop. Foodies, heed my call. Commence ripping and dipping. But but that's why I found it so so cutting is uh, and clever is is because of the way that it sent up all of that right. like the the guy who says the, we discovered Korean barbecue right what does he say he says we discovered Korean barbecue in this town ah uh, before the Koreans oh sure they cook it but they don't get it there is a funny slash sad weird thing where it becomes almost competitive. To like, you can like stuff your face with what and then tell people about it. But who cares? <laughs> Where do you think that comes from? I don't know. I love foodies and eaters and people who are passionate about gorging themselves. And Homer is the king of all food lovers, right? But, you know, you just try to find that little crack in their foodie armor and Stick a wedge in it and have some fun. Coming up, lunch arrives. And we'll hear why writers might be the pickiest eaters in the world. Plus, I meet Simpsons creator Matt Groening. And he tells me how new technology has changed the show's food jokes. 
Stick around. Rhyme about radicchio. Criticize Calicchio. Every pub is gastro. Oh my beef carpaccio. Throw it in the thigh, yo. And don't you call that thot, though. Talk about broth squirting dumplings. 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 And now, a delicious word from our sponsors. Welcome back to The Sporkful. I'm Dan Pashman. Hey, Father's Day is coming up. Do you need a gift for the father figure in your life? How about a Cascatelli gift box? It comes with a special recipe booklet with recipes for things like Mapo Tofu Cascatelli, Janie's Cascatelli Mac and Cheese, Cascatelli with Big Juicy Shrimp, or Double Pork Ragu, or just a whole bunch of tooth-sinkable mushrooms. So much goodness. Plus, you get four boxes of Cascatelli. Hey, even if you have some, it doesn't go bad for years. Just get some more. Plus a kitchen towel that says, put some Cascatelli in my belly, which is something that, as a dad, I say all the time. This gift box is so much better than a pair of socks. You gotta get it. Order today at sfolini.com. That's S-F-O-G-L-I-N-I.com. All right, back to the show. It was time now for the table read, which was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. And I say that with a little bit of hesitation only because I feel bad because I can't share it with you. They wouldn't let me record it. It's top secret. But here's what I can tell you. It's in a big conference room. All the actors who do all the voices, they sit around a table with their scripts, with all the writers. And then there's probably 50 more people filling the room, some standing, pressed against the wall. These are uh, other writers, friends and family members, studio executives. They just sort of like, they want to create an audience in the room so they can test what gets laughs. It's sort of like a focus group. And so I got to sit there and watch the actors perform an episode of The Simpsons. And the episode they were doing the day I was there was about Krusty the Clown joining the circus. So it's sort of like, can this pampered TV clown cut it in the down and dirty world of an old time circus? And Nancy Cartwright was there doing Bart. Yardley Smith was there doing Lisa. Dan Castellaneta was there doing Krusty and Homer. And really the most amazing thing of all was that it gave me a newfound appreciation for what talented voice actors they are. Because, you know, when you watch the cartoon, yes, intellectually, you understand that the voice is not actually coming from the picture, but your brain kind of makes that connection. When you hear them reading these lines separate from the images, you hear how the slightest little pause or intonation or, or the way that they deliver a line just makes it so much funnier. Watch an episode of The Simpsons with your eyes closed. You'll see what I'm talking about. After the table read, I caught up with writers Rob and Ryan. You heard them order lunch earlier. I wanted to ask them about one of the food jokes in the episode from the table read. It was about Krusty the Clown's writers and the spice turmeric. It's sort of a joke about how spoiled the writers are, that if they don't get a good grade on their show from the reviewer, they will be cut off from their turmeric boosts. Right. So turmeric is sort of like the annoying homeopathic ingredient of the moment. Not to knock turmeric as an ingredient, it's delicious, but like, you know, there's all these special powers that are being attributed to it right now that I'm sure will be, you know, I'm sure that the, the trendy uh, health food, uh, health foodorati will have moved on to the next thing uh, soon enough. Do you ever worry that you're going to put a joke like that in and that by the time the episode airs, like turmeric will be old news? Well, maybe it'll be funnier after it's been debunked. It'll be like, oh, that... That was a funny trend that happened. I don't know. It's too hard. The show comes out in nine months, so 
yeah, a lot of things are going to be dated by nine months in that turmeric joke. Yeah, that's just the sort of high risk you have to take at this job. We have several swings down the line at rewriting too. So it's like, uh, we'll take one more pass at this a month before it airs, maybe six weeks before it airs. So we often are kind of, kind of catching a couple things like that. It's like, wow, we, you know, that, that already feels old. That's amazing. Uh, oh, let's see. Come in. Just then Matt Selman came in. He's the guy I spoke with earlier who wrote the food wife episode. Matt, what'd you think of that table read? I'm pretty well. Just one step on the road to production, the road to airing, you know. Matt, what's one food-related Simpsons joke that you wish you had written? I can't remember. I can't remember anything that we ever did. I, <laughs> I think one of my one of my all-time favorites was um, in the episode where um, they go to the all-you-can-eat seafood buffet, and they run out of food, and then they sue for false advertising. Mrs. Simpson, what did you and your husband do after you were ejected from the restaurant? We pretty much went straight home. Mrs. Simpson, you're under oath. We drove around until 3 a.m. looking for another all-you-can-eat fish restaurant. And when you couldn't find one? We went fishing. (laughs) Did these sound like the actions of a man who had all he could eat? No! That could have been me. But I would say that's not a food joke. That's a greed joke. It's about gluttony, the sin of gluttony. Like a food joke has a specificity of the food itself. I mean, technically, yes, it's about food, but... There's a great line, now, of course, I don't remember it entirely, from Food Wife, where Homer is talking about... Sorbet? My kids do not eat sorbet. They eat sherbet, and they pronounce it sherbet, and they wish it was ice cream. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a food joke. Yes. Although, well, I could argue, Matt, that it's more a joke about uh, class and uh, pretentiousness. Mm -hmm. But it uses specificity of food to tell that joke. Right. We're going to argue a lot. (laughs) He thinks that fried chicken thighs are good. And that's obviously the worst piece of the fried chicken. Ryan, response? This issue comes up at least once a month. (laughs) And uh, it's a very sensitive issue for my boss about the amount of goo that's in a chicken thigh when you fry it. We really tapped into something, Matt. Uh, Um, So, I I mean, I like the moistness of the meat, but saying more about it, I think, would have me lose a lot of standing in the show. (laughs) And then, finally, it was time for lunch, which at The Simpsons is signaled to all the buildings in the area with the latest in lunch technology. And Juliet, what typically happens after that bell? I mean, what, I, I expected when that happened, I would see all these doors fling open across the lot and, and a stampede would occur. It's a little more understated. People kind of dribble. It's more yeah. of a dribble, I would say. Joe. Here's Joe. Joe's here. always the first. Joe's always the first? Uh-huh. Yeah. Is that true, Joe? It is true. I get my lunch and, and Al's lunch, Al Jean's lunch. Okay. Yeah. Are you a writer? No, I'm Al Jean's assistant. Okay. Al Jean, of course, the showrunner of The Simpsons. What did he order? I don't know what he ordered. I think he got chicken enchiladas and rice and beans. All right, should we go into the actual part of the beast? By heart of the beast, Rob means The Simpsons' main writer's room. I had pictured something very antiseptic, like an office conference room. But it felt pretty warm, with a big, long wooden table in the middle and a screen at one end. It sort of felt like a cross between a ski lodge and a classroom. 
Yeah. Here's, uh, this is Max Pross, another hey, Max. writer. Oh, Stan right. Pass. Hey, my name's Dan. Good to meet oh, you. He does a sport right. bowl podcast. Oh, this is a food, food podcast. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Do you mind if I ask you a couple quick questions about food? And... As long as they're off the record, sure. Well, then that's going to be very right fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, tell me your name, please. All right, Max Pross. And you're a writer? I try to be, yeah. Okay. And uh, what is the role of food for a writer on a TV show? It is far too important a role. Uh, a legendary comedy writer, Steve O'Donnell, is convinced that that uh, writers are the pickiest eaters in the in the universe because they're so used to detail and you know moving a, a, a comma or a, a a word around that every ingredient counts in food. And uh, and since writing in general is is procrastinating, what better way to procrastinate than thinking about what your next meal is going to be? So, are you a picky eater? Uh, extremely. What'd you order today? Uh, I left it to uh, the, the geniuses who get the lunch for us um, because they, that we, I have standing orders at every restaurant. Because there's only one thing I like at each place they go to, so they know what it is. So what's their thing for this place? Uh, this is a fish burrito at Pinches. Fish burrito. Yeah. Is the fish fried? Uh, it's kind of fried, fried slightly. It's, you know, it, it, they call it grilled, but it's really fried. Mm. I would worry that it would lose its crisp when it's all wrapped up, taken to go like it that. It does. No, you have, to, you have to put into consideration the, the traveling that each food does. Ryan, we spoke earlier uh, about how you are often plagued by lunch order regret. Mm -hmm. Now you're eating your classic combination of enchiladas and sushi. <laughs> How's that panning out for you? It's it's good alternating bites. You, you you're not committing your mouth to any particular one set of flavors, and it's a sort of taste confusion, which I think you, you know makes every bite new and refreshing and a little bit gross. And are you feeling any regret? Oh yeah, yes, yeah, definitely. Also sitting at the table was someone I didn't realize I'd be meeting, Matt Groening the big boss of The Simpsons, the guy who created the show 30 years ago. Matt, I won't ask you to tell me your favorite food-related Simpsons joke because I feel like that's an impossible question. Mmm, floor pie, right? <laughs> yeah. Are there, are there others that come to mind of your personal favorites? Well, there was one where Homer found a, found a uh, hoagie or a Subway sandwich, whatever, whatever the term is, and it got more and more rotten. And finally, Marge threw it out in the garbage, and Homer got it out of the garbage can at the curb and, and tried to eat it, and it was rotten. <laughs> uh, according to legend, that is actually something that happened to Al Jean. <laughs> Matt, why do you think food is important to the writers on a show? I know it looks calm here, but I would say that being a writer on a TV show is one of the most stressful anxiety-provoking things. So you're trying to be funny, and it's just—it's like it's like being in school, where you've got, uh, you know, you got to be, you want to be it's funny. Like school, where the job is yeah. is to be funny. Where at school you, you had to study and it could be funny, and that was extra. Now the job is the school, and we study in the back of the room. <laughs> well, see now, that joke kind of half landed, but now you'll watch that Matt. Someone will rush into the kitchen and start eating Doritos. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I want to be more funny. <laughs> I brought up the Food Wife episode, the one we discussed earlier that mocks foodie culture, where white bloggers say things like, We discovered Korean barbecue in this town. Ah, uh, before the Koreans? Oh, sure, they cook it, but they don't get it. And that scene where Bart, Lisa, and Marge go to an Ethiopian restaurant, which I talked about with Matt Groening. The Ethiopians I know uh, loved it. Oh, yeah. They loved just being acknowledged, yeah. you know. 
And in the in the food wife episode, do you feel do you find yourself more identifying with uh, the would be food foodie food bloggers, Marge and the kids, or more with Homer who only wants to eat things he already knows? I will drive forty miles for a good bowl of ramen. San Gabriel Valley is the greatest part of Los Angeles that's not considered Los Angeles, but really is. It is uh, miles and miles and miles of amazing regional Chinese restaurants and Vietnamese restaurants and uh, Mexican restaurants where the food here isn't watered down for gringos and locals. It's done for the community where the people live and therefore you get to eat seemingly authentic food. At this point, lunch was wrapping up and it was time for me to go. But there was one more question I wanted to ask Matt Groening. How has food on The Simpsons changed over the last 30 years? If you look at back at the old animation of the, of the show, the joke used to be that Marge would serve them glops of food. And it was just sort of like a mush. And that was kind of the joke. And then gradually we learned that you could draw a certain kind of shape and it would look like a pork chop. And now I think over the years, as our animation has gone into high def, we can actually draw food that you can tell what it is. So I think that's partly a, a technological breakthrough that has allowed us to do more specific food jokes. I think that part of the reason why food is so important to the show is because it's a universal. And also Homer is a really fun character because he is ruled by his impulses and he feels no guilt. And I don't think there's a person alive who doesn't eat a donut without a tinge of guilt, right? But Homer doesn't. First, the award for the alumnus who's gained the most weight, Homer Simpson. Oh my God! How'd you do it, Homer? I discovered a meal between breakfast and brunch. So that was my trip to The Simpsons. It was really, really cool. I especially want to thank Rob Lezebnik, as well as Ryan Coe, Matt Selman, and Matt Groening. If you want to see that episode they were working on, it's called Krusty the Clown. It's season 30, episode 8. You can find it on Disney+. Plus. You can also purchase it on a variety of streaming platforms. Next week on the show, we kick off a special three-part series about black food media in America, past, present, and future. It all starts with a deep dive into the history of food coverage at Ebony Magazine and a visit to Ebony's famed Test Kitchen, which has been lovingly restored in a new museum exhibit. That's next week. While you wait for that one, check out last week's show with Brittany Luce and Eric Eddings of the podcast For Colored Nerds. They help one couple arguing over whether it's okay to eat eggs that were hard-boiled for Easter decorations after they've sat out in a basket for a month. They also discuss wedding food anxiety as Brittany's big day approaches. Check that episode out wherever you got this one. This episode was originally produced by Ann Sandy of Eva de Kornfeld and me. It was mixed by Dan DeZula. This update was produced by Andres O'Hara and mixed by Jared O'Connell. Our team also includes Emma Morgenstern, Johanna Mayer, and Tracy Samuelson. Music help from Black Label Music. The Sporkful is a production of Stitcher. Our executive producers are Peter Clowney and Eric Eddings. Until next time, I'm Dan Pashman. And I'm Kiana. I'm 11 years old, and I live in Chicago, Illinois. And I'm reminding you to eat more, eat better, and eat more better. Definitely more better. Definitely more better.